Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Wednesday the 5th of June. Coming up, MP questions Justice Secretary over potential release of serial killer. In 1975, he admitted to three counts of manslaughter, but he's strongly suspected of carrying out a further 10 killings. Widow gives evidence to contaminated blood inquiry. I know that I'm not only speaking for Stephen myself, I'm speaking for a lot of people who haven't been selected at this stage to give their evidence. And overflowing charity bins criticised. The bins are full. I'd like to donate some old clothing and shoes. I think it's a shame because there's a lot of people probably got good stuff they want to put in it. Kent Online News. First today, a coroner's ruled former Kent footballer and Love Island star Mike Thalassitas took his own life after consuming cocaine, alcohol and paracetamol. The body of the 26-year-old was found in a park in Edmonton in March, sparking calls for better support and aftercare for people who take part in reality TV shows. The North London Coroner's Court today ruled his death was suicide. A man's due at Crown Court next month, charged with attempted murder after a man was stabbed outside a Dartford pub. Police were called to the flying boat in Spittle Street last Saturday. The victim was taken to a London hospital and has since been released with no serious injuries. 32-year-old Joe Dewanville from Frinsbury Road in Strood appeared before magistrates yesterday and has been remanded in custody. Kent Online reports. Dartford MP Gareth Johnson has questioned the Justice Secretary in the House of Commons over the potential release of the UK's longest serving prisoner. Patrick McKay, formerly of my constituency, is one of Britain's least known but most dangerous serial killers. In 1975, he admitted to three counts of manslaughter, but he's strongly suspected of carrying out a further. 10 killings, including, Mr Speaker, of a four-year-old boy. He's now eligible for parole and to be moved to an open prison and may well already be there. Does the Secretary of State therefore share my deep concern over the potential release of this man, still only in his 60s, and will he enable me to make fullest possible representations to the parole board. This was David Gork's response to the question. Well, can I uh, pay tribute to my honourable friend who has uh, taken up this issue tirelessly? Um, as he knows, the parole board will release a life sentence prisoner only where, in their view, it is no longer necessary on the grounds of public protection for a prisoner to remain in custody. Now, in, in making its determination, the board will consider reports from those who manage the prisoner and have assessed the risk of the harm he presents. Um, But the board will also consider all relevant evidence of the prisoner's risk of harm. And I know if my honourable friend has such evidence, uh, I'm sure it will be listened to uh, very closely. And and we will ensure it is fully considered for inclusion in the dossier of reports given to the parole board. Kent Online News. A Kent woman whose husband died after being infected with contaminated blood has been giving evidence at a public inquiry today. Thousands of NHS patients were given blood products infected with hepatitis and HIV in the 1970s and 80s. Steve Diamond from Broadstairs was one of them and he died in December last year after living with the disease for decades. His widow Sue Gorman spoke to Ish just before giving her evidence. I'm actually quite 
anxious about the responsibility because I know that I'm not only speaking for Stephen myself, I'm speaking for a lot of people who haven't been selected at this stage to give their evidence orally. And what sort of things can the inquiry expect to hear from you? What the inquiry can expect to hear from me is what it has heard from everyone so far who has given evidence and those to come is the impact on individual lives of the use of the contaminated blood products and blood in transfusions for patients seeking national health treatment, the absolutely catastrophic effects on the health of the primary victims, on the lives of all those who love them, who are called now the affected people. And what is it that you'll be, you'll be stressing to that inquiry about, about that impact? The impact is the loss of the contribution that people could have made to the country, to the world. Someone like Steve, who was a gifted teacher, whose career was cut short. Um, we know that of the successful pupils that he did teach, but we don't know the many he might have actually been able to uh, support in, in building lives. But also, in Steve's case, um, specifically as a mild haemophiliac, and speaking for all the mild haemophiliacs, that his tra- the treatments he had that were contaminated um, were not, stri- not strictly necessary. They were never for life-threatening conditions. And in fact, Steve died for two bruises and four wisdom teeth. And in terms of that impact... from yourself I mean making an impact out of that inquiry how important is that and I'm sure from your perspective and of all those who've been tragically affected that they'll want to ensure that this isn't repeated and what's happened isn't forgotten and is certainly those people who've unfortunately played their part are held accountable. Uh, Absolutely it's it's two things it is actually as you say ensuring for future generations and not just for haemophiliacs, but for everybody, every, everybody who needs specialist health care, that the mistakes are not repeated, that the Department of Health is not allowed to get away with ignoring the damage that is done by this sort of um, medical incident. But it's also to know why it happened and that those who actually were responsible are called to account. What have you made of the inquiry so far? I know obviously it's relatively early and it it could last a a very long time but what have you made of it so far? I've been pleasurably impressed and comforted by the seriousness with which the inquiry team are taking the inquiry by the support that they are offering to the victims by the personal contact they are making sure they have in around the actual formal sessions and there is reason to believe at last that we are being listened to after years of being dismissed um, in derogatory terms, largely orchestrated by the Department of Health, but also by the various governments of the day, that we will actually be at last listened to and vindicated in our belief that it should never have happened. Kent Online reports. A teenager has been sentenced for robbing a newsagent worker at Knife Point after threatening to kill her in Medway. Alex Kramer ran off with thousands of pounds in cash after targeting the shop on Darnley Road in Strood in March. The 17-year-old from Stour Close in the town has been given an 18-month detention and training order. Police have issued a warning after a number of people in West Kent were tricked into handing over money to a woman who could 
claimed to be in distress. Four people in Headcorn and Tunbridge have been approached by the fraudster over the last few days, who said she needed to pay for a locksmith because she'd been locked out of her car or had her bank card stolen. It's thought to be linked to a similar scam targeting a pensioner in Tunbridge High Street last Monday. It's claimed charities in parts of Kent are missing out on hundreds of pounds worth of donations because collection bins aren't being emptied. A number of drop-off points in areas like Larkfield have been left overflowing with people's old clothes and shoes. Councillor Matt Borton is from Tunbridge of Morling Borough Council. It's really important that if charities uh, have charity bins, uh, wherever they are, whichever borough they're in, they make sure that they're uh, emptied as much as possible. Obviously charities are starved for cash in, in some instances and they're dependent on how much they fundraise, but we've got to still make sure that they collect it because there's people have donated quite rightly their stuff to charity. We don't have to do so. You have your day-to-day um, rubbish that we generate as well. But these large items, particularly um, things like clothes, we want to make sure that they go to um, people who need them most and um, charities do a great job at that and it's a shame that there are sites um, in the north of the borough where they've not been collected as much as possible. Fortunately here in Tunbridge um, the bins here at the moment are relatively empty so if you're in Tunbridge you're still able to come down and, um, and, and put your unwanted items in here and that shows that, that some charities are doing this really well but sadly it's not replicated everywhere else and hopefully um, this can change. And of course, uh, one of those um, particular Larkfield um, actually had quite a few bins. Sort of, they weren't able to put their um, they weren't able to put their clothes in there. So what they did is they sort of had them in bags and left them by the bins, which of course is littering. So, um, what is your message almost to those people? Is it to take it back home, leave it by there? You know, if, if the bins are full, then, then what, what precautions can people take? Leaving rubbish by bins is actually really um, quite an environmental hazard, actually, and we see this in our, all of our bottle banks um, across the borough at the moment. So that's part of the reason why Tunbridge and Morling Borough Council are changing their recycling contract in September so that we actually have recycling from the home and the days of seeing bottles lined up um, sort of next to the bin after a busy nice uh, sunny and hot bank holiday weekend will be a memory um, from the past as of September now we've got to make sure if we're going to really sort of tidy up our car parks that actually the charity bins don't have exactly the same problem as well so um, certainly from the council's perspective we're taking action to make sure that um, sort of people leaving rubbish by the side of the bins doesn't carry on and hopefully charity bins can be continued to be emptied on a regular basis so that there is no rubbish or items for recycling left behind the bin ever. And of course, you know, with um, bottle banks and things like that, they are obviously overseen by the council in terms of its collection. But charity bins are a slightly different matter. Is, is, is the council's ability only to sort of put pressure on these charities to do it more regularly? Or what, what can the council actually do? Where you get um, a, a council-owned space and we're, we're in, in one here, it's very good that the council actually gives up um, parking spaces to put the charity bins here to make sure that we can um, give unwanted items to charity rather than just throwing them away. And that's really good. And I hope that that continues. Um, obviously Tunbridge and Morlin Council is responsible for um, collecting your every everyday household um, waste as well and it's also got a responsibility to make sure that the sort of the street scene of an area is nice and welcoming and uh, any overflowing bin whether that's a council bin or whether that's a charity bin is something that we really don't want to um, encourage and we really want to make sure that everyone who is responsible for collecting their waste does so. 
And just finally, so in terms of the precautions that people can take, so if they come to a charity bin and they do find that it's completely rammed, take it home, call them. I mean, what is the what are the procedure do you think? I, th- I think you're best off taking it home and coming back another time. Hopefully, when it's um, been uh, been emptied, that's that's what I would personally do. Um, but so I accept that obviously where they're full, some people will leave it by, leave it by. Now, as I said, that causes environmental hazards, and it's something we really want to avoid. And that's why it's actually crucial that when bins are full, whoever owns them, they're then emptied. These people turned up to drop off some donations early this week. The bins are full. I'd like to donate some old clothing and shoes that's not good enough for a charity shop. But if it's an opportunity someone can make some money, I'd rather they did that. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to take them away. So if I, if I hadn't been here and you would have had to put them back in your bags, what would have happened? Would they have just gone back to the house? or They'd have gone back to the house until I found another bin that I can put them in. It's not very good, is it? Bit 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 sort of pointless having them here? Pointless having them here. I'd have liked to give it to the British Heart Foundation, but they're full as well. So then you move on to these other bins. Not quite so... Uh, I don't know where the money's going to end up. I think it's a shame, because there's a lot of people probably got good stuff they want to put in it, and it's full of people's rubbish where they're too lazy to take it to a tip or somewhere or dispose of it properly. And you're saying that there's other places around the area. Where, where, where do you know that there's places like this? I know Sainsbury's has got ones. Um, I think Morrison's might have some as well in their car park at the top of the London Road there. Um, you've said like West Morning, which I didn't know about, but this is, this is my nearest one, so it's quite handy for me if I've got anything. Or are you go to the charity shop in Martin Square and take my stuff there, which again, I think that's a um, hospice one, that one there. And just in terms of sort of inconvenience, if you wanted to donate yeah. some clothes and you saw this, how, how would that make you feel? Well, it, yeah, it annoys me if I've carried stuff all the way down here and I can't get it in, and it's good stuff that people can, can use. And I, I say I just think it's a shame and it's a waste that it, people do that with it. And of course, you know, as you can see, just an example here, people just leave their stuff around and he kicks it underneath as well. Is that really...? Yeah, and it's got a a note on there what they take and what they don't take. And I bet if you went through it, there's a lot of stuff in there that they don't take either that people have just put in because they're just too lazy to go somewhere else and dispose of it and dispose of it properly. The British Heart Foundation, which is one of the charities accused of not emptying collection bins, say they've had an influx of donations as people are having a summer clear out and they are now taking care of it. Kent Online News. A man involved in a plot to steal £80,000 worth of Toblerone in Kent has been ordered to pay more than 90 grand. Graham Ashcroft was one of six men linked to a series of thefts from trucks in the Dover area in April 2013. A refrigerated trailer contained the chocolate was one of the things taken, along with a pallet of whiskey and an HGV tractor unit. The 60-year-old from Lancashire was jailed for four years, eight months. Plans for a new Lidl in Hearn Bay have been given the go-ahead. The supermarket chain wants to build a store with 125 parking spaces on land next to the Old Thanet Way near the Green Hill Roundabout. They had to submit fresh drawings after proposals were rejected last year. They've now been narrowly approved at a council meeting by six votes to five. And finally today, it's been confirmed an ice rink will be coming to Maidstone this Christmas. It'll be at Moat Park along with other winter-themed rides and activities, including a grotto, food village and bars. It'll run from December the 21st to January the 5th. That's it for now, but for more news throughout the day, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.